body and mind are not two things. Body and mind are one. Mind is the hidden body. Body is the exposed mind. So all the trauma of the mind plays out and locks in the body. There is enough research now that confirms that all the trauma of childhood accumulates in the body. Body is the one that pays the price for all the fear, for all the trauma that gets embedded in the body. Welcome to Long Live Podcast. I'm your host, Asa Trichikoskaita. I'm here to remind you the power of your mind and that you are the creator of your life and your story. We'll talk about all things mind, body and soul and the connection between our inner dialogue, our thoughts and how it affects our bodies. I'll share my best advice, lessons and mindset shifts so you could stop overthinking and find peace of mind. In today's episode, I'm talking with Anil Chandwani. He is a transformational coach, meditation teacher, and a serial entrepreneur. He has created and sold several successful companies, and many people wondered how he did it. Anil said he has always questioned the norms and the belief systems, and the ultimate gift came from learning about active meditation. This is when, through meditation, he transformed his conditioned living, and he noticed that his inner and outer world began to align seamlessly. He is sharing his gift by teaching active meditation to others around the globe, and he has helped thousands to decode their limiting beliefs. So let's jump right into today's conversation so you could learn all about how you can do the same. So Anil, how has been your morning today? <laughs> it's been quite a morning, isn't it? <laughs> it's been a busy morning, uh, to say the least, uh, but I'm very happy that we are able to make this happen today. As my schedule was getting a little crazy, so I, I wanted to do this as we had agreed. So I'm happy that we are able to do it. been a busy morning here. How about you? Oh, my evening was lovely. I, I had a dinner with my family, and yeah, then I was about to record, and then we had uh, some things at your end and my end, and I was like, yeah, we will see how it will go. And <laughs> life just has a beautiful way of um, redirecting us a little bit and putting place into order. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah, but you know what a what a wonderful thing that we are able to do this from across the globe, um, eight thousand miles away from each other. So uh, quite incredible. Yeah, that's true. I know that you now are leading people through transformational workshops. But I want to go back in time. And I know that spirituality has been like kind of naturally in your life. But I want to know what was your approach towards it when you were a small child? And how did you look at spirituality at a young age? A brilliant question. At a, at a young age, uh, as we, uh, I did not know the difference between spirituality and religion. So there was this one word uh, being, you know, you knew religion as a kid. And I was very lucky that growing up, uh, religion was not imposed upon us. Um, I was born in a Hindu family, went to Catholic schools. I was living in a Muslim Sufi Mecca town. Um, and Buddhism is also very, very big in India. So religion, I had exposure to multiple religions and what at home 
was given to me and that became a very big gift was uh, being kind, being grateful uh, for what we had. So our prayer was about kindness and gratitude uh, and trusting the power that was bigger than us. So that was my gift. That was spirituality for me, which I did not know at that time. Um, and that was our prayer growing up. That's a very beautiful way to say that you didn't disconnect spirituality from the religion because from the Western point of view, it can be two different things. Now spirituality is more of the things that we learn. It's something that you teach the students as well. But it's not something that most of the time people connect to their religion. So I think it's a very beautiful way to just really interconnect all of the things. And as you said, being able to be exposed to other religions and just interconnect one, each and all of them with one another. Yeah, and you know, it, it, is, it is quite unfortunate that uh, religions have not synchronized their truth like science has. Like all over the world, science has one truth, you know. We all agree to all scientific and mathematical truths uh, in the world, but religions somehow have never synced up to agree. And although everything leads to that same place, but uh, yeah, I think it's about time that religions start agreeing these same scientific principles and finding a common ground to exist. Yeah, I think it's so true, as you say, that all of the religions are leading to kind of same idea and same thing, but they are still speaking from their point of view. And what do you think is that main thing that all of the religions are leading us towards to? <laughs> well, religions are leading us towards a mess <laughs> currently. <laughs> religions, are, <laughs> religions are leading us towards war and a mess, uh, you know, if, if understood. Uh, you know, it's a self-realization. It is, um, they're all, lead, you know, they're supposedly, if you look at the simple words in religions like Amen, Om in Hinduism, Amen in Christianity, Amin in Muslim and Sufism, uh, even the singular word that describes them, uh, you know, are so similar. Um, so self-realization, uh, inner silence, inner peace, self-realization is the, I think, is what all originally uh, were trying to point us towards. But what it has become now is a mess, you know, it's wars and separating uh, rather than oneness, it has split us into multiple pieces. Yeah, it somehow created another reality Then they are kind of, as you say, opposing to and should yeah. create in. And then I would, I would think that it is something that we started to dissociate ourselves with. It's something that systems and norms created us. And this is a new approach where I think that's where in the Western world spirituality came into our lives, where we started to kind of get away and out of our minds and to see what's going on in there. And I think you are the greatest teacher in there to really help people 
disconnect from the identities that we created and maybe you could tell more about it how does it serve and help us as human beings um you know um i don't call myself a teacher or is <laughs> just something i enjoy doing um, the i could squeeze my entire work into one word and that is unlearning uh, what changed my life was when I made a list of my belief systems, what was my operating system, how I was making all my decisions. When I first time made the list of all my belief systems, what I thought was right, what I thought was good, what I thought was to be done, um, I was quite shocked that none of it was my own. It was given to me. And when really look deeper into it as we also you realize that more than half of the things that we believe to be our own are given to us before we are born our religion our country so invariably we inherit with our birth the countries that are our enemies religions that are our enemies so when i grew up uh, when i did that work on myself and i started unlearning my belief system my conditioning, um, my world began to open up. I began to realize that the boundaries, the skies, you know, is much vaster, much larger, and more and more opportunities, more and more beauty began to come into my living. So this process that I have created, the work that I do through many doorways, you know, I use many tools, many modalities, but the work primarily is about one thing. It is unlearning what was given to us when we were little before our birth without our permission that's a very interesting thought unlearning things that were given to us even before where we were born i heard that we yes. inherit beliefs but most of the time uh, i think we mostly try to solve the issues right now and kind of thinking that the beliefs are something that we learned along the way when we were already living our lives. And it is very interesting to look at this from the generational perspective and to understand that it's just like ingrained so much and so deeply into us. Yes. So what is, what is the best process to go about it? Well, you know, we are born with this very clear and brain and we and, and a body and as we come right from the first minute we are born we start programming our brain we start programming these connections in the brain the way we cry to get our food the way we cry to get our diaper change the way we cry to get our attention or share our chocolates to make friends so we start accumulating these programs um, and when we are little, we are jumping on the sofa and, you know, our parents are taking our pictures, how cute we are. But as we grow up, now we are five or six years old and we are jumping on the sofa and then we get reprimanded, we get punished, we are told to shut up. Uh, when we are little, we are doing many things and we are really never encouraged. You know, we are asked, stop doing that, stop doing that. When we are talking too much, when we are drawing too much, when we are, we are given the discipline. So as we grow up in our energy body, 
in our energy bodies, we start accumulating these programs, these programs of what is okay to do, what is not okay to do. What can I do to get what I want? And what should I do to not be punished and not get what I don't like? So these programs start getting deposited in our body-mind system uh, along the spine that we call our chakras, our energy centers. So these energy centers in the body begin to form these programs, which become our operating system for the rest of the life. Like you mentioned that we learn that something is good to do and something is bad to do. And the theme seems to be coming up and up more and more that we are carrying that feeling of not being enough in this world. What happens is the first, the first foremost thing that gets embedded in us is our survival and our fear, you know, whether I'm going to survive or not. When we come out, so this instinctual fear to shiver when it is cold, to sweat when it's hot, to, you know, when the earth is shaking, the fear that will I survive or not. That's deep down in our first center. It's all about survival. Uh, then the second center in the body is all about emotions, what I feel, you know. Then comes the third center around power, what I can do, cannot do. So everything that I have learned. So what we do is we start programming our behavior based upon what we have to do to go through those young years, young ages, when we do not have the rational mind. And so that gets so deeply embedded uh, in our kind of the alpha system of the brain. And, uh, you know, we keep using that, how when we grow up, we receive the information, how we assimilate that information, how we respond to that information. So it kind of becomes our software, if you will, like a cell phone or an, uh, a, your smartphone. That's our body, that's our instrument. And in this body, there are so many apps installed. Like, depending upon which culture and conditioning I have, my app will respond to that situation accordingly. Um, if I was punished for speaking up, if I was laughed when I was expressing something, now I'm a grown-up person and I'm on the board of directors, but I might still my operating system might still feel that fear that if I speak up, I will be laughed at. If I speak up, I will be told by my boss to shut up, that I'm not good enough. So this feedback, we uh, you know keep getting it from our systems. So we receive the information, we assimilate and store the information, which means we process the information based upon our personal childhood and conditionings. And then we respond to it based upon what we get from inside of us, that how we judge the situation. Is it okay to do or is it not okay to do? Does it make sense to you what I'm sharing here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I know that you are great at helping people to deprogram these limitations. And as you said, we, each of us have systems. And I really like the analogy of uh, just downloading many multiple apps and running on the system that we installed. And I know that meditation is has very big scientific proof 
but I want to hear like how you describe it, how meditation works on our minds and on our bodies. Well, meditation is simply an art of being in the present moment. You know, it's learning to be with where life is happening. Life is happening wherever body is. So meditation is simply an art of learning to be where the body is in totality. It's an art of doing what we are doing in totality, in awareness. So for me, that's what meditation is. And we use, you know, in my work, I use meditation as the base work because it's, I use the science of active meditation that I learned uh, from Osho. Uh, so active meditations work with the body. We begin with the body because body and mind are not two things. Body and mind are one. Mind is the hidden body. Body is the exposed mind. So all the trauma of the mind plays out and locks in the body. There is enough research now that confirms that all the trauma of childhood accumulates in the body. Body is the one that pays the price for all the fear, for all the trauma that gets embedded in the body. So active meditations really are very powerful way of releasing the trauma from the body, whether it is through catharsis, whether it's through dancing, whether it's through shaking, humming, sounds, mantras. So in the process deprogramming limitations, we use active meditations to release all this locked up trauma, locked up emotions from the body. Once the body begins to release, naturally the mind begins to relax. We have seen that when we go for a massage, you know, when you get a physical massage, the body is relaxed, the mind begins to relax. Now, relaxation is the first requirement for meditation to happen, for us to be in the present moment, for us to be able to be aware. So when body is relaxed, mind relaxes. When mind relaxes, we can begin the process of awareness. Now, the second tool that is the most powerful tool that is underutilized is breathing. So breath is our connection with life, right? We Life begins when we take the first breath. Life ends when we take the last breath. So breath is the electricity. It's the charge. It's the energy that moves in the body. It activates the body. So if we use the breath correctly, in-breath activates the sympathetic nervous system, out-breath activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So we can learn to have the energy and at the same time rest and digest if we breathe correctly. So the second modality we use is breathing. Breathing is the most underutilized tool in the world that you know people are not using for mental wellness. Uh, learning to breathe correctly can already change so many things. Learning to get in touch with the feelings in the body, what the body is feeling can be half the cure. So those are the two big modalities we use in this module deprogramming limitations. And then hypnosis, clinical hypnosis to work with the deeper layers of the mind, the unconscious and deeper layers of the mind. Uh, we use hypnosis. For many listeners, active meditation would be something new to hear about because most of the time it's something, like as you said, it's connecting breath, body and mind and body and mind is one thing and in nowadays most of us we really disconnected the mind 
and the body. And we love to do exercises that only kind of involves either our mind or either our body. And I really love this approach where you are connecting both into oneness because that's what it is. You know, when when mind, when the brain disconnects from the body, that's where disease happens. Our brain regulates the body. When body disconnects from the brain, that's where body becomes unhealthy. And active meditations put the energy back into the body. Also in the center of our body, our heart center. If the energy, if our operating system is in the brain, if we are doing everything with our mind, our math, our meditation, our music, if we are doing everything from the mind, mind is already overloaded. It is operating at a very high speed. That's why more than 75% of the doctor visits, hospital visits are stress-related. Now, May in America here is the month for the mental wellness, you know, and mental wellness is so important, you know. We don't think about mental wellness as physical wellness. We put so much attention on what we eat, but we don't put any attention on what we put in our minds, you know. We put so much attention on working out and keeping the body healthy, but we do nothing about learning to keep our mind healthy. Um, so meditation, breathing, uh, many of these creative ways are techniques to keep mind healthy. And I think it's about time that we start looking at mental health as uh, simply, as playfully as we do for our bodies. Because we have learned over the years to take care of the body, how to take care of the body in the right way, in the optimal way. We can similarly start to do some small things. And it's in very encouraging that mindfulness and meditation and such breathing practices, they're all becoming very popular. There's a lot of research being done on this. So things are happening. Things are shifting. Um, but yeah, yoga, active meditations are so powerful in reconnecting with the body. And as I said at the beginning, life is happening where the body is. Life is our instrument through which we participate in in life, you know, body is the instrument through which we participate in life. I love how you said that uh, most of us know how to take care of our bodies. And you said that it's important to have a healthy mind. And I would like to know how would you describe a healthy mind? And do we know what it is? We have, as you said, we most of the time don't even think what we put into our minds. Mind is our brain in action. So to understand the mind, one has to understand the brain and why meditation and mindfulness has become so big is because neuroscience has exposed the brain like never before. So we now know how the human brain functions, how it has evolved um, and what benefits meditation has on the brain, human brain, because it is nothing but our brain in action. And our brain operates on synapses, on the synaptic connections. It's the movement of the neurons from one neuron to another neuron and neurotransmitters are moving. So every cognitive action, every behavior, every um, motor skill is movement in the brain. The brain produces reward chemicals or stress chemicals based upon how we perceive things. So 
mental health is so important. Brain health is so important for the body health. So meditators uh, were scanned, you know, they checked that meditation made a tremendous difference on the part of the brain that is responsible for our self-regulation, our self-control and connection, connection with others, connection with the earth. Um, and it also at the same time increases the white matter, you know, the white matter that's responsible for how quickly we respond to anything, how quickly we are able to uh, look at what is coming at us and respond because our bodies has to respond so quickly. If you sense the danger, then our, your body has to move out of the danger at a very quick speed. Uh, so benefits of meditation have become so well known now. That's why meditation is in schools. It is in uh, police departments. It is everywhere. Companies and corporations are doing it. So the benefits of meditations are enormous. Um, it, it instantly, it immediately begins to change, form the new pathways. Imagine like almost creating a new highway lane. If you have a two-lane highway, meditation adds another lane so the traffic can flow much more smoothly and easily. Um, so I, I, I'm very encouraged. You know, I've done this work around the world. Um, I'm very encouraged to see how much passion people have, how much curiosity and interest is there to learn meditation. Um, and it's not so difficult, you know, if you keep it playful, if you look at meditation um, as art of learning what you're doing in a playful way, uh, it's really fun, you know, to keep meditation as a playful activity is the key. That's a really nice way of looking into meditation because most of the time it seems as a very serious and very, yeah, I would say a serious thing to do most of the time but if you look at it from a different point of view it can be really funny and fun and an encouraging thing to do and you know yes i really also love how neuroscience opened new ways of looking into our brain and yet yeah, just understanding how neuro new neural pathways are being formed when we are meditating and how it changes the the, the the way we create our life even. And I really loved, you mentioned it a little bit previously, that we learn all of the limiting beliefs through our interactions. And I really loved this research came from the neuroscience that as when we are kids, we realize the world only through the interactions and, and relationships. So it makes a lot of sense that like everything that we are absorbed is through the people that we are interacting with. And I think learning how to interact with your own brain, which you have been describing that meditation is, it is such a powerful tool to do so for, for yourself, for your own good. Brilliantly said, as we brilliantly said, so see everything, our mirror, when we grow up, our mirror is on the outside. Everything we learn is from the outside, our parents, our teachers, our priests, everything comes from the outside. So we are so used to learning from the outside. Now meditation turns it inside out, you know. So for the first time when we close our eyes, when we start looking, even with open eyes in our activities, 
at the charge that is coming up. So if you really want transformation, the most important thing is not that, oh, she does that, or he did that, or she did that. Oh, my boss is like that. If you disconnect the other and simply move your focus to inside, what is the charge coming up in me? What am I feeling? This is where the transformation begins. This is where the inner journey begins. If you want to change something, that's the first step to disconnect from the outer and look at the charge coming up within you. Uh, and that's when the game changes. I have a question for you like the mm -hmm. transformation that changes. It's all about going somewhere and into the goal, into achieving something. I want to know how, how do you see success and what success is for you? <laughs> um, well, you know, success, uh, again, has, you know, for me, I, I always say it, to be able to live my life the way I want to live my life uh, is success for me. Uh, on the outer dimension, it has many, many definitions, you know, to graduate from the college or to get a job or have so much bank balance or have such and such a car. But success for me is an inside job. It is how I feel, how I look at life. So happiness and success both for me are inside jobs. See, everything outside is neutral. Now, if I do not have the capacity to process what I have, be happy. I cannot. Success means nothing if I have all the money in the bank and I don't feel good about my life. And I know and I work with many people like that who are super successful in the outer world but don't feel good. No, you can't call that a success, you know. So for me, success is an inside job. It is our ability to live our life in an optimal way is success to me. That's very beautifully put. And the reason why I asked is because I know that as we are driven by results, so many people, no matter what they try, it can be a meditation or something else. And you know, like, how do you define a successful meditation, right? Oh, if I did the practice right. And I think it's really important to shift your perspective from gaining the result and gaining the outcome, even though it's very important. But as you said, like the goal of the meditation is to bring yourself to the present moment. So it's really more about focusing on the practice than the success and the outcome itself. Would it be right? Uh, how you do things. Yeah, meditation is more about how you are doing things, less about what you are doing. So you could be having a glass of wine or a cup of tea if you are fully present. So again, as I say, now neuroscience keeps confirming these things. So if you are eating an apple and if you really feel the color in the skin and you really bite into this apple and feel the juices flowing into your taste buds, you really become mindful about the journey of the apple, how many miles this apple has traveled, who was growing this apple. If you become mindful of this apple that you're holding in your hand, which means you are fully present 
to this apple that you're about to eat. Now that instantly releases double the amount of the reward chemicals. The taste of the apple changes, the value it brings in your body changes because of the placebo effects and uh, what reward chemicals the brain releases. So if science has proven that the quality with which we do matters in how much ha happiness we experience, how much joy we experience from it. Now, imagine bringing this quality to your home, to your loved ones, to your business world. So what meditation teaches is two things. Relaxation, totality. So am I total in what I'm doing? So when I'm working, when I'm with my beloved, when I'm with my child, the quality of totality, am I totally, am I fully present to what I'm doing? One. Two, am I relaxed? Am I playful? Or am I tense, you know, uh, in what I'm doing? Am I focused on the doing part of it or being part of it? So when anyone is learning meditation, one has to go with the mindset that I'm learning the skills for living a happy life. I'm learning the life skills. And if you learn these skills through meditation, then the most important thing is to start bringing these meditation skills into your daily living at home and at work. When you start bringing these skills in your life and you pause and acknowledge and send the signal back that, wow, I'm doing this and I'm enjoying and I'm seeing the benefits of this, I'm living more joyfully, I'm feeling more relaxed, I, I feel like I can process, I don't get derailed by the little pushes and pulls. So when we start sending this confirmation signal back to the brain, then the brain wants to do more. So when the body and mind start communicating the benefits of the wow factor that, hey, this is great, I didn't get derailed, I didn't get nervous, I didn't get pushed over, I felt good. So when this communication begins between the body and the brain uh, about the wow factors of meditation, about the little things uh, about meditation, then meditation becomes more fun. When it becomes more fun, we do it more and more. So here's the secret for how to make meditation <laughs> out of your daily life. Yeah, we are wired to do the things that excites us and brain just wants to, wants to do more and more of it as you said and i love exactly. the i love the you know like uh, 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 i mean just to complete that thought yeah like taking a bath or a shower as well you know so when if we make our bath taking a bath process beautiful um exotic it's fun playful then why wouldn't we take a bath every day um, we're not kids anymore where mom has to scold us every day to take a bath so now we understand the beauty of having a nice bath what it does to the body what it does to the mind and then we want to do it ourselves we want to get into the bathtub at every chance we get <laughs> so make it playful and fun uh, i'm sorry you were saying something Oh, you reminded me of one thought. I don't remember where I heard it and who said it, but uh, somebody asked like, oh, but why do you meditate each day? Oh, you know, it's like a shower. It doesn't last. So I shower every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brush your teeth and shower every day, meditate every day. And as I said, meditation is a skill like going to the gym. You know, you cannot go to the gym one time a week and think you will have an amazing body you know everything that works for us see 
we as human beings are very intelligent, you know. We just don't use it for our own good. We know nothing we do one time works, whether it's workout or yoga or eating healthy. We know that repeatability is the key. So meditation is no different. Playing a guitar is no different. We need to learn it. We need to enjoy it, go through the resistance of the mind, then start seeing the benefit of it. That's when it becomes fun. A very philosophical question came to my mind today. As I like um, going into the practices more and more, and I got really thinking, like, is the ultimate goal to be happy or to be more at peace? What would you say? You know, um, I think, see, the world outside is very neutral. We give color to it. We impose how we see it. So good and bad, right and wrong is the color we give to the world. The world on the outside is very neutral. Yeah. And we can only process what is coming at us. So happiness is the color we give to the world outside. Peace comes from having a quiet mind, you know, peace. I think quiet mind is a happy mind. Quiet mind is a peaceful mind. A peaceful mind is a happy mind. So, you know, ha happiness and peace are connected. And without having a quiet mind, uh, both are not possible. That's the most perfect answer that you could give to the listeners. Sometimes people ask me, uh, what is happiness? And I say, it's sitting quietly for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that for some it might sound like a, a weird answer they would be like what where, where does the happiness come from then <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so true yeah. that's so true i love having this conversation with you thanks so much where the listeners could find you online um well i have a little business card website the resetcode.com t-h-e resetcode.com and uh, that's the easiest way to find uh, and that's the same Instagram so that's the easiest way to connect with me great I will put it in the show notes and thank you Anil for sharing your wisdom and your insights and it was my pleasure well, having you here I am uh, delighted to, to be on your program uh, I appreciate your invitation and thank you and uh, uh, in your a country where you live, if your audience is predominantly in your country, there is a lovely center where these active meditations are taught. Um, I believe it's called Milas Kailas. Uh, so please check it out. Have your audience go there. Brilliant science of active meditations. They are playful. They are workout for the body. They are very healing. Uh, so anyone who wants to experiment with them, they're right there in your country. Uh, I have trained many people there as well. So don't miss the chance to go try them. Yeah, that, that's great that you have mentioned them because, yeah, we are getting more and more uh, Lithuanian listeners, so I think they will greatly benefit from that. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, right. Thank you for your invitation again. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends if you enjoyed the episode and leave a review. I would greatly appreciate that.